Let's pray. Lord God, this is your church. Not the building, but the people. We praise you that you are always by our side. There is no other God. You alone are the creator of the heavens and the earth. So, so immense in scale you are infinite and eternal and your word declares the the earth to be merely a footstool to you and yet how deeply you care about this footstool that you would send your only son that god would take on flesh hang on a cross for me for us knowing our names, before the foundations of the earth were laid. You are God. Thank you, Lord, for your word given to us that we would know you, for your creation that has your fingerprints all over it, and for your Son, who declared to us who you are. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, as we read our passage today, I want us to be thinking about a couple of things. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. And as you open up those Bibles, I want you to be thinking about what did Paul do to be put on trial? What did Paul do to be put on trial? And secondly, how is it that Paul could endure such a situation as this with such confidence? What did Paul do to get to this point, and how could he endure such a situation with such confidence? Acts chapter 25, I'm going to be starting in verse 1. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts 25, it says, Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one 
can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed? To Caesar you shall go. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. So in our passage today, once again we're in Acts, and once again we find Paul on trial. It just doesn't end for this guy, does it? What, what did Paul do to be put on trial like this? What is it that has brought him to this point? Uh, why, why do people beat him, hate him, and revile him? In verse 3, it says, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning on killing him along the way. The chief priests and elders, uh, the leaders of Israel, wanted Paul given to them as a favor. In verse 9, we see that Festus is considering this. He says, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Festus considered giving Paul over to them as a favor. What is it in Paul's life that made everybody want to turn him into a favor. Way back in chapter 9, do you remember Acts chapter 9? On that road to Damascus, as Paul was going to persecute Christians, to throw them in jail, to break up families, he was a murderer. On that road to Damascus, Paul recognized the love of God for him in Jesus Christ, as Jesus himself appeared to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul recognized that love of God for him, that he would take such a man as he and cause him to know who God is in Christ. And it completely completely changed his life, didn't it? Completely altered it. Paul responded to God's grace and his mercy with a a zealous love for his Savior, one that affected everything that he said, everything that he did, everywhere he went from that point on, changing him from the persecutor to the promoter of God's church, of God's body in Jesus Christ. He took the call of God upon his life seriously. As seriously as Jesus took that cross for us. When Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to go. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. To one of his best friends. I'm going. This is where I need to go. And I need to go there for you. With, With a deep understanding of the gospel's effect upon his life. Uh, The forgiveness of sin that he had undeservedly received in the death and resurrection of Christ. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, he says, The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, knowing that the gift of eternal life was now his in Christ, not because of anything he had done right, but simply by grace, 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned. We've worked hard for it. That's our wages. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not something we earn, not something we deserve. It is free. And Paul, with, with that understanding that, that anyone, anyone in this room, whatever your sins might be, God knows every single last one of them in its worst and ugliest detail. Anyone can be forgiven of their sin through Jesus Christ. And in Christ alone, no matter what your past, present, or future might have held, Paul was driven to carry that gospel message to a fallen world and that is what has brought him to this point that is what paul did to be put on trial he preached the good news of the person and works of jesus christ salvation you can be forgiven repent and believe on the name of jesus he was tried because that gospel that he carried, that good news that Paul took to a fallen world, is confrontational by nature. When we hear it, when we hear that good news of Jesus, it, it challenges the paradigm of our lives. It calls us to repent, to turn completely away from the way we used to walk, from the sins we used to walk in, and frankly, enjoy, right? Right? It causes us to, to completely turn away from that and, and ask ourselves who or what will now be at the center of our lives. Will it be me or will it be Jesus? Will it be politics or will it be Jesus? And please don't get those two confused. Will it be my stuff or will it be Jesus? Will it be my comfort or will it be Jesus? There's only room for one king in our lives. And the gospel causes us to confront that. Who is the king of your heart at this moment? When the gospel takes root, it transforms us. It changes how we think. It changes how we act, who we are, and our purpose. The gospel repurposes us in our lives, rips us out of the dark and puts us in the light. Have you ever been a kid? Most of us have, right? And you're sleeping and you just want to stay asleep and your parents know that you have to get up and go to school or go to church and what do they do? They come to your room and they flick on the lights, right? And all of a sudden you're ripped out of the darkness and you're put in the light and you go, no! I don't want anything to do with this. Let me go back to sleep. I was comfortable, right? The light is uncomfortable. You, you know until we get accustomed to it that it, it, it's really nasty, isn't it? Christ and his gospel make the world uncomfortable because it puts a spotlight on our sin. 
It puts a spotlight on everything in our lives that would dare to take the place of Jesus. And Paul was his messenger. He carried the gospel to a fallen world. Whether they wanted to hear it or not, because he knew that the world around us right now, they need Jesus. They need Jesus if they are going to have eternal life. There is no eternal life without him. There's eternal death and separation from God. There's deserved condemnation for our sin. There's no eternal life apart from Christ. Paul lived out his faith, and the world hated him for it. We see it in in verse 3, they wanted him dead. In verse 9, Festus doesn't care if he lives. He just wants to use him as a favor. Let's just make Paul a favor. Does my faith, the, the way that I live it, not just here in church, but when I go home, when I'm out, at the grocery store, everywhere I go, does my faith and the way I live it cause others around me to want me to be a favor? Do the people I work with, do the people I know, do the people I'm around, do they even know that I have Christ in my heart? Is my love for Christ so clear, so bold, so active that people have to recognize Jesus in me? And seeing Christ in me, they then have to confront the sin that is in their own lives. And seeing the sin in their own lives, would they rather just get rid of me? Because I make them see that. In who I am, they then have to see who they are. Am I a mirror for them to see? It's a tall order. It's very tall order. It really is. But this is the call of God upon us in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Alden and in all Delco, in Pennsylvania, and to the end of the earth. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What does it say? It says, sit in your room, close the door, and don't let anybody hear it. God says, go! Go and make disciples. We are not called to a silent faith. Our faith is not a personal thing. There was a generation They would not talk about religion, wouldn't talk about Jesus, because, well, that's, that's between me and God, right? Right? We, we don't talk about those kinds of things, right? We, we are not called to a faith that makes the world comfortable. If we are making the world comfortable, we don't know our own faith. And we don't make the world uncomfortable because we are obnoxious or, or forceful or hard-nosed or mean, but, but we make them uncomfortable because we cause them to, to recognize their fallenness before God. 
And we do this out of love as, as we confidently and lovingly put Christ on display for them to see in who we are and what we do and what we say. Jesus was anything but silent, was he? As he turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple and he said, you got to understand the honor and the glory that is due to God in his own house. We are God's house, aren't we? Paul took the gospel into every synagogue he could, into every Gentile city that he could, publicly proclaiming the truth of Christ. And not for the purpose of upsetting them, not to be spiteful, that wasn't his purpose. But he did rub them the wrong way, didn't he? He rubbed them the wrong way because he wanted them to face the truth. He wanted to cause them to reconsider how they think so that they wouldn't have to die. There is a world dying all around us right now. Paul carried the gospel to them so that they too could have eternal life in Christ. And because of this, they put him on trial. Paul was on trial here. What trial would make you fear? What trial is it that would bring fear to your heart? Would it, would it be going to jail for your faith? Uh, that's a little too far-fetched. We're in America, right? Maybe, maybe people slandering you for your faith, talking about you behind your back. That's not too bothersome, right? Who cares what they think? Maybe it's losing your job for your faith. Oh, well, hold on a minute. We wouldn't want to do that. Let's not go too far here. That, see, that's a very real battle in America today, isn't it? As bakers are forced to shut down their businesses that they built from the ground up, now they have nothing forced to go to court. As teachers are told that they cannot openly confess Jesus Christ, but they have to teach evolution. As Chick-fil-A has been removed from certain airports, and they're being kept off college campuses, not because they are not an equal opportunity employer, or, or have been somehow overtly against the LGBTQ philosophy, but because they have dared to donate to Christian ministries. Because they have stood for their faith in some fashion, get rid of them. See, but, but I have a family to take care of. I have things to do. I can't afford to take that kind of a stand, can I? Paul was put on trial here, a very real trial, and one that, that wasn't just a, a job loss, but it was one that meant life or death. But strangely enough, if you read the passage carefully, you will see that Paul was not, it didn't seem he was in the least bit of fear here. He, he had a certain confidence in fact, he was so confident that he actually takes control of the entire proceedings. 
How many times have you watched a trial on television and the person being accused of everything stands up and says, I've done nothing wrong. You can't prove it. You can't give me over to the authorities. And I'm done here. And everybody goes, you know what? You're right. Paul just stood up and took control of the entire situation. They wanted to make Paul a favor. They wanted to get him out of the way. And and Paul, in verse 11, he says, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. No one can give me up. He says quite literally, I will be no one's favor. He uses the same word that they used earlier for favor. Just just make Paul a favor for us, Festus. Give him to us so we can kill him. Festus wants to make Paul a favor. And Paul stands up and says, I will be no one's favor. I have lived transparently. I do not seek to escape from a just punishment. With all confidence, I appeal to the highest authority that I can, the emperor. I will take the gospel as far as I can, as long as I can, because my purpose in life is no longer my comfort. My purpose in life is Jesus Christ. Because this life is temporal, but I'm looking forward. My citizenship is in heaven, and I have eternity to look forward to. The purpose of this time is the gospel. Because in heaven, there's going to be no more need to preach the gospel. That's what this time is for. Would would we trust the Supreme Court of the United States the same way that Paul gave himself over to Caesar. Think about it for a moment. Paul just gave himself over to the emperor Nero. As far as all historical accounts go, Nero was a nut job. He, He burned Christians to give light to the city. He blamed them for the great Roman fire of AD 64. Destroyed three-fourths of the city. How is it that Paul could go through this, that he could appeal to such a man without fear, with this amazing assurance? Verse 7, we see that he was surrounded by accusers. When he arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. But those serious charges condemned him to death, as we saw in an earlier study, right? Have you kept up on politics lately? Now, don't get all riled up, regardless of your chosen party. Have you noticed that everything in a politician's past is being brought up to invalidate what they are trying to do now? Accusations fly from all directions. If they haven't lived above reproach to this point, if they are not transparent in their lives, they have become fodder for the system. Paul here is being brought to trial yet again. 
but his confidence is not in the system, it is not in himself, but it is in Christ Jesus. And the life that he lived before God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Because Paul lived his life for Christ in every way, there was nothing that Paul had to apologize for. There was nothing that he had to try and escape. No one he had to fear because Paul put God first. Can you imagine how many things we wouldn't have to worry about if we just put God first in our decision-making process? How many stupid things we just wouldn't do? if we dared to put Christ first? God was Paul's confidence. Could my stand, could my stand for Christ go as far as Paul's? Am I already preparing my witness this day in how I live? Am I living my life in Christ right now in a way that when I am put on trial, my witness for Jesus Christ is secure? For for the sake of the gospel and my effectiveness in sharing it, in my walk before God and man this day, I need, need to be able to say to anyone in earthly authority over me, verse 10, Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done nothing wrong, as you yourself know very well. Can I say that? I've done nothing wrong, as you know very well. I've lived transparently. Accuse me of something. I will either admit it or it never happened. Our witness is only as good as our walk. Paul had confidence and an extraordinary testimony that people could believe because he had a walk to match. He could honestly say to the church, follow me, emulate me. Do what I've done. Does my faith and the way I live it cause people to want to get rid of me but give them absolutely no good reason to do so? Does it cause them to want to get rid of me but give them no good reason, no valid reason to do so? Am I preparing my witness today in how I live, so that tomorrow when I'm put on trial, I can say I've done nothing wrong, and you know it. When pressed, would the only thing the world be able to point to be Christ in me? We must live our our lives as Christians transparently, and before Christ in everything, so that there is no hidden thing for the world to throw in our faces. 
and, and defame Christ. Is there a punishment that we are trying to escape? Or can we say, uh, as Paul did, that I'm not seeking to escape death? Is there something that I just don't show at church? Is there an area of my life that I cannot honestly live before Christ? Something that holds me back from giving myself wholeheartedly to God and and bearing witness that I am called to do because if somebody pointed that area of my life out, it would ruin me. Or perhaps we're so bold or don't care about that area because we've just become really good at justifying our own sin. And if the world were pressed, they would say, wow, you really don't see it? Do you know what Bible the wicked and the worldly man reads? He does not read this Bible at all. He reads the Christian. They watch them to see how they live with a careful eye. Christians have got Argus with a hundred eyes staring on them. The wicked world looks at every fault with a magnifying glass, and they make the smallest molehill into the greatest mountain. And if there is a moat in our eye, they will make it into a beam, and they will say, the man is a hypocrite at once. It is the duty of every child of God so to live that he may confirm the witness of Christ. C.H. Spurgeon. If we say we belong to Christ, we need to belong to Christ. Paul had sin in his past, and he had sin in his present, I'm sure. Not his present now, but his present then. But he was ready to say where he was wrong and that his only right came through Jesus Christ. Uh, Flip over in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says to them here in 1 Timothy 1, 12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That, That saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, forever and ever. Amen. Paul had sin in his past. But his justification came through faith in Jesus Christ and not in self-righteous excuses. He had allowed God to remove his sin and change his goals, change his purpose in life. Paul was brought to trial 
for his life lived for the gospel. And he could endure it with such certain confidence because he gave them no reason except Christ in him. No reason to accuse him, no reason to put him on trial except the love of God. In Christ he was forgiven, and in Christ he lived. Is your life made new in Christ? Is he now my purpose? And are we ready to answer his call to live our faith in a way that others can see and hear Jesus Christ in us as we go out into the world? Not just here in these walls. It's easy here, isn't it? Out in the world. If you say yes, you're ready to answer that call and have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you will rub people the wrong way. And you may be taken to trial in one way or another. Prepare your witness today so that tomorrow you can say, I've done nothing except proclaim the truth in Jesus Christ out of a love for you that you would know eternal life just like I do. This is a season that we are in where we can reach out to people. We've been given Easter God has handed us Easter as a reason to go to our neighbor, knock on their door, hand them an invite, invite them to Easter services. But it's a season we've been given. Let's pray for our soil. Let's pray for people who need Christ around us. Let's pray that God would move in their hearts and their minds, that they might wake up even that morning and go, all right, I will go. Let's pray for ourselves to have the strength to share the gospel with them, to carry it out there. Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you, my neighbors across the street, David and his wife and their two little girls, and we just pray, Lord, that you would move in their hearts even this morning. Embolden us to approach them, talk to them, love them, care for them in a way that they would see Jesus in us. I pray, Lord, for the community around us that they would be encouraged even this morning as, as Easter week, as Holy Week approaches, that, that they would be moved in their hearts, not by anything we have done, but by your Spirit moving in this community. Lord, we pray that you would bring them, that they would hear from you through us. Give us strength. Give us words, grant us wisdom that is not our own. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' name.